0: is Generation Justice, a multimedia project that trained youth to harness the power of media. I'm Andrea Rivera.
1: And I'm Brennan Olivier. As we know, women are standing up for themselves and have always taken care of others. Tonight, we are bringing you two of our local sheroes who advocate for women in New Mexico who experience injustice on our streets, homes, and communities.
0: We will be speaking with Christine Barber, Executive Director of Street Safe New Mexico, and the important work of this woman-led organization.
1: Then we talk with Violet Martinez, a trans femme activist who has been working for the safety and rights of trans people. And Violet has a special focus on indigenous trans women.
0: What does procrastination mean to you? We bring you a roundtable discussion with youth who explore the idea of procrastination. Hmm, that should be interesting.
1: For a little music to set the mood, here's Fight Song by Rachel Platton. Christine Barber is the founder and executive director of Street Safe New Mexico, a nonprofit organization that advocates for female sex trafficking survivors still living on the streets. With us is longtime GJ member Tama Fenderson to talk with Christine about her work.
2: Hi, Christine. Thanks so much for being here today to discuss these issues that are so often faced by women in our community. Thank you, Tama. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and the work that you do with Street Safe New Mexico?
4: Sure. Um, Street Safe is um, a nonprofit that advocates for women who are um, on the street, sex trafficking survivors, women who are addicted, women who are homeless, and who sell sex. Um, We do this in many different ways. Our focus is what we call street outreach, where we physically stand on the street (laughs) and hand out uh, pads, tampons, condoms, clothing, the basic necessities of life. Um, And then we also do... um, advocate for them in different task forces and meetings and things like that.
2: Awesome. So were you always passionate about this work? How did you end up getting involved with Street Safe?
4: So I think most of us remember um, back in 2009 um, that um, the bodies of 11 women were found in the West Mesa. And so I was volunteering for healthcare for the Homeless at the time. And another volunteer, um, her and I started making conversation. And it turned out, um, her name was Cindy Jaramillo, and she actually had uh, been selling sex on the street in 1999, like some of the women who ended up in the West Mesa. In her case, she was, uh, was kidnapped by a serial killer, the toy box killer in Elephant Butte, and uh, was held for three days before she was able to escape. What she told me, and this ends up being our ended up being our mission statement, was she she lives here in Albuquerque. her family is here, yet no one would have reported her missing for several weeks. And that's what happened to the women in the West Mesa. All she wanted was for there to be a group that paid attention. So we pay attention. and we try to still live that so much so that we're having a vigil um, on this Friday, February second at 5.15 up on the West Mesa for the West Mesa victims and all women on the street who face violence.
2: Wow. So are there other organizations out there that are helping women that sell sex or are on the street? And why do you think it's so hard um, for women who find themselves in these situations
4: to get help? There are other organizations that help peripherally, um, but physically going out to the women on the street, it is a hard thing to do. Getting to know these women, know their first names, and then seeing their lives and what they are, the amount of violence in them, um, and then um, having to watch them pass away. The average age of death on the street for women is 42. Over the holidays, two of our women were murdered. I knew them both for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. So that's a very difficult reality. I think a lot of groups shy away from that because... We're supposed to be distant. We're supposed to not want to get involved. And we don't actually pay attention to that on street safe. We actually take the opposite approach. Yeah, it hurts. And it really hurts. And we cry. But we are out there because we feel like those women are amazing and they deserve to know that, that they're amazing. Hmm.
2: So it sounds like you guys end up having really great and close relationships with these women and they end up really trusting you how important are those relationships in building trust
4: um and creating a community of support for these women the the trust itself is actually it was pretty hard one in our case um but it it, it always is and it is really just a matter of being there consistently come snow come 109 degrees come everything Every time you're going to be there, just being there. Even if nobody shows up, you're still there. And that's what we did. Until now, we see up to 100 and some women um, every outreach that we go out of. Building the trust is difficult, and I think that's why a lot of other groups, and in fact, no other groups really do what we do, um, because overcoming that trust barrier is difficult. We've proven it's possible, but it's difficult.
2: Mm -hmm. And so we know a lot of these women that you're helping are young women, they're women of color, they're trans women. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and
4: how these communities are specifically at risk? So 92% of the women that we serve are women of color, Um, 32% are um, uh, native and the rest are um, usually Hispanic and then a little bit um, African American. And then we also have a significant um, uh, trans population that works the street as well. Um, and it you end up with this community of people who are, in and of themselves, very vulnerable um, and are at target and are at risk and are thrown out and are ignored. And then put them together, they form this really interesting community among themselves. It's a very dysfunctional community um it has a lot of really interesting rules to it that we wouldn't recognize but it's still a community and um it is because they're in, they're so isolated and they're so they have their own little pocket community it's very easy for um people to come and take advantage of them mm-hmm. um to target them specifically and say you know i'm going to go and um I'm going to rape a woman who sells sex because no one's going to care. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that happens every single day.
2: So one thing that you mentioned um, that I feel is really powerful is that a lot of these women feel like nobody's caring for them. How hard is it for them to go to, say, the authorities or, say, a hospital to get help for these issues that they're facing?
4: Honestly, it is almost never happens. Um, so we take, um, uh, rape reports, um, reports of beatings, attempted, uh, kidnapping, attempted murder. We take those reports every week. We take about three to five a week and we put it into a list that we call the bad guy list that we then hand out to the women so they can avoid those men. Um, the list is available online on our website. So, um, I'm, because we do this, and I personally have taken 923 rape reports, um, we know kind of, um, you know, we, we offer to go with them and to get services, to get treatment after they've been attacked. Fortunately, that almost never happens. If they're getting any medical treatment, my group is providing it. We should not be providing it in the middle of a parking lot in the war zone. I'm sorry, the International District. We sh- There should be somebody who's saying these women deserve treatment, but there's so much stigma for them to come forward and say, I was doing an illegal act of selling sex when I was attacked and raped by this man who held a gun to my head. They would have to get through all of that. And then, unfortunately, historically, and I'm hoping this will change, when the women go forward on their own, and if we aren't with them, they encounter a cop after they've been attacked and they're bloody and bruised. I would say probably 90% of the time they're told that they deserve it. And in fact, EMS is never called, and the cops kind of just laugh. I wish I could say I'm exaggerating, but we actually had last year one police officer who didn't do it. And we called the station to find out who that police officer was because the girl didn't get her name. And I described the officer to the sergeant, and the sergeant said, well, there's only one officer who would act that way. Who would have been that decent? I can give you her name. So we sent her a thank you card. That's not okay. And Want to talk about injustice? That's injustice.
2: Yeah, that's really um, that's really disappointing. So one of the things that we um, talked about before, you guys do a lot of on the ground work. But are there any types of legal action um, or legal things that you think can help these women who are selling sex feel more safe?
4: So one of the things that we've explored is, um, so the, the, the stigma of women coming forward and getting medical treatment after they've been raped, we have been trying to figure out how to make that not be the case. And it's we've, we have tried everything, focus groups, you know, liaison with the police, We think we have come to something of a solution in changing the Harm Reduction Act. And this will be something that we're suggesting next year at the legislature. The Harm Reduction Act allows for um, syringe exchange. It's a one-to-one needle exchange. The person will get a little card anonymously. And that card says they cannot be arrested for uh, the petty misdemeanor of paraphernalia charges if they have the card on them. Why couldn't we do something similar for people who sell sex? If we take that the consequence of them being being raped at during the legal act off the table then they would be much more likely to come forward and get medical treatment after they've been raped so if we can say we're going to give you this anonymous card we'll do a little intake we'll ask you a couple of questions this card protects you from being arrested for the petty misdemeanor of selling sex and at the same time we can say you know what? We have an STD clinic here. Why don't we get you tested? And we're t- protecting the public's health. We're helping the women not get attacked. We're helping the police by not having them to have to worry about the petty misdemeanors. It would save the city more than $500,000 a year wow. in incarceration costs alone because of the number of prostitution arrests. So it's we're calling it the harm reduction. We're just It would just be a, a matter of adding that to the harm reduction act that currently is in place. We wouldn't change the criminal code, we wouldn't do anything else. It's simple. And we're hoping that'll be something that people will support.
2: And so for people listening now that may not be as actively involved, what are some things that we can do to help?
4: So this coming Friday we are having the vigil on February 2nd. It's at 515 I know that sounds like an odd time, but we're actually doing a light uh, lantern lighting ceremony for the women who have passed away, um, and we're buried at the West Mesa. Um, and so that coincides with Sunset. Um, you can get all the information on our webpage at uh, streetsafenewmexico.org, and it um, will be a 45-minute just memorial service um, where we'll honor the women that were, that were killed, remember them and their families, and then remember all women who have been victims of violence on the street.
2: Awesome. Is there anything else that you would like to share um, with our listeners tonight?
4: Uh, Just that let's not jump to conclusions when you see a woman out there on the street selling sex. She is an amazing human being who deserves respect. Just because she sells sex, that doesn't mean anything. So just try to look at it a little differently.
2: I want to thank you again, Christine, for being on air with us today. Um, The work you do is so important, and the advocating that you do for women in communities is invaluable.
4: Thank you so much.
1: Christine, I'm so glad to see someone out there facing these injustices, and also when a woman came to you saying there's no group for this, you decided to make a group and start that group. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm also very glad that you guys give out the essentials to these women who are selling sex and helping them get through what they're going through.
0: Thank you for joining us, Christine, and thank you for the work you do.
1: Here is the song, Why Control, by the Ya Ya (laughs) Ya's. One of the most vulnerable vulnerable populations of women in our community are trans women of color and especially indigenous trans women. We now join Tama Fenderson who will speak with our guest Violet Martinez. Violet is a trans femme student of color taking on the intersectional lens of LGBTQ rights, sex worker rights, mental health awareness, youth leadership, educational and juvenile justice.
0: Violet recently finished a National Youth Internship, which taught young transgender people how to empower their communities through storytelling. She won the 2016 Albuquerque Pride Outstanding Youth Achievement Award and is also the Vice President of Trans Women Empowerment Initiative. Here's Tama Fenderson
2: with Violet Martinez. Hi Violet, thanks so much for joining us today and being so willing to
5: share your story with us. Thank you Tama and Generation Justice for having me here tonight, I'm honored.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about your story?
5: Um, So a little bit about my story is um, I'm a native local native to Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm 20 years old. I came out when I was around 14 years old um, as transgender. And being a youth with a youth within the community, it was hard to find um, people like me uh, that were my age and that I could relate to. So I kind of just did some community outreach by um, visiting different organizations such as like Empower. They were a great, um, like, introducer for me to advocacy by doing community outreach through um, Safe Sex Kits and uh, really centering, like, gay men and transgender women of color. And through that, it kind of broadened out to me getting connected with Young Women United and um, doing some work with their youth internship for um, LGBTQ youth. Uh, And then that kind of evolved into uh, me and other local trans women um, creating our own organization from the grassroots up when we face conflict within our community um, and somewhat of like a a push-out, if you will. Um, So we just reclaimed our voices and took our time back.
2: Wow. So you've done a lot of really amazing activist work for the trans and
5: LGBT community. What are you working on right now? Um, So some past projects we have completed was... um, um, writing grants to fund our space, which is no longer up and running, but it did run for a full year, which was um, our own like local office where we um, provided like a surgical medical pipeline for trans women who have insurance to receive the um, surgeries that they want or need um, to feel comfortable in their own bodies. Um, we held a civic youth engagement. Um, Kind of 101 for queer youth, um, just to get them engaged on why it's important to vote when you are of age to vote. Um, we also did a Swan survey, so Swan stands for Sex Workers Anonymous Networking Survey, which is somewhat similar to what Christine does now with um, Safe Safe Street Street Safe, um, and we just went out and took a did a. A grant for um, the urgent action fund for women and we were we got the grant process and we were able to interview about 25 women um, including trans women of color who are on the streets um, working and pulling dates and from the information we gained from that was that they were all unemployed they had no access to employment they often came out of the legal system recently and had nowhere to go so that was their last resort was um, street work and now, currently, what we have addressed is um, the political and community atmosphere on um, trans discrimination and just discrimination as a whole with women um, and why our claims of discrimination go unnoticed or even um, unapproved or um, discredited.
2: And so you recently had an event that you called a die-in that was really successful. Can you tell us about that?
5: Yes, we did. We um, Through the Trans Women Empowerment Initiative, we're still running even though we don't have a local space, we wrote in for a grant to address um, the blatant silence and uh, push out from our community after an allegation um, came out to a gubernatorial candidate, Michelle Luan Grisham, who is a congresswoman. Um, and she's running for state governor. So when she decided to dismiss the claims of trans discrimination and wrongful termina- termination of an uh, internship by Riley Del Rey... Um, And then we saw that the community didn't reach out to Ms. Delray um, directly. And there were just a lot of misinformation and um, backlash from the community that we weren't expecting. And there was not an open and honest dialogue. There was no room for conversation on these matters. And it was kind of taken out of... um, (sighs) Out of context, by placing it that it's like Riley versus Michelle Luangrisham, which wasn't the case. It's a bigger picture here. It's about the work discrimination that women face and trans people of color face um, within impoverished communities just to maintain a job or hold a job within like their dress representation or how they act or just their bodies in general. So we wrote in for a grant and we were funded and we were able to organize um, rapidly because it was a rapid response. Within a week, um, a group of Indigenous trans women and um, LGBTQ allies who have also been pushed out of the community or had some sense of tension. And um, we just talked. We had food. We just organized and shared experience, lived experience. And the next day we um, put our battle gear on. Um, Me and Riley, we both put on flesh nude suits and covered ourselves in blood. And we had images and signs such as she could have been me. Um, Nothing to see here. Just another dead trans woman. Um, Just another LGBTQ youth that was put through a corrupt system. Just different messages along those lines. Also, like, give us our roses while we're still here. And we protested a fundraiser that was um, organized by our community for Michelle Lujan Grisham um, to dispute the claims of discrimination that Riley had made um, for more support um, for her candidacy. So through that, we just did the die-in, and we basically crushed the party or the fundraiser, and we were just standing outside protesting with our First Amendment and um, doing—it's an, uh, a form of artivism, and this was inspired to us through an a international phenomenon. Her name is Jill Love Revolution, and she does similar work, and she created the International Artivism Movement, so please check her out, for she is the one who inspired us to take action. Um, and it did when we wrote in for the grant, we wrote in about the dying and the, de- the description of what we what would be happening, and they asked us what we wanted to see come about from this action or artivism, rather, I'd say. So it was just to cultivate dialogue and to get community on the same page instead of having this sort of back and forth fighting like political atmosphere when it's really just. Common ground that we all face the similar experiences of discrimination and to not make it so political. Um, even though it is. It's the personal and the political. It's how we face our, our own lived experiences and discriminations from institutions relating to government, education, healthcare, and our own communities. And it's we need a question: why aren't we holding these people accountable, these leaders in positions of power? Are we scared? Do we just not have the voice? Or what is it? So I think by us holding this day of action or artivism and a die-in really pushed them to take action. And now currently they're organizing a community meeting with all of the community members, um, centering trans women of color and our claims and what we want to see real change, what that would look like, and to be a part of the movement. And also just to get out the message that this is intergenerational work and intersectional work. So we have to bring together the older leaders who have been upholding these positions and then the youth leaders who have been also um, making their own spaces and cultivating their own power through their voice. Um and just bring back that it's a bigger picture, that this case with Miss Del Rey and Lu- Michelle Luan Grisham is just the microcosm of the macrocosm. And it really reflects why there are trans women and women of color out on the streets selling their bodies, selling for sex, and they're not able to get a job or they're pushed out of their communities entirely. Um, and then they're kind of just, you know, murdered and their bodies are left on, on the side of the road, and again, back to the police involvement, how do they interact when they, they find these bodies? You know, when I was laying on the ground outside of the where the fundraiser was, I was in my attire, like, my bra and panty and blood, and I was portraying, like, a, a dead trans sex worker, and people who were walking by me were like, oh my gosh, is that a boy or a girl? Like, who knows? Like, who cares? And here I am, like, covered in blood. And it just made me think, like, what if I was really dead? Like, is this the kind of conversations that the public would have or the police would have upon finding my body? And there is a high rate of murders within trans women of color communities who are actively engaging in sex work or just expressing themselves as a whole.
2: And so one thing um, that you mentioned was that you feel like trans issues are often swept under the rug. Why do you think that is and what can we do to hold leaders accountable so that that doesn't happen in the future?
5: I think that our our claims are just swept under the rug. Not just trans women, but women as a whole, because oftentimes we're made out to be the problem. Our bodies are the problem within these work environments. Oh, you're too sexual to work in this environment. You're drawing too much attention because your your lips are too red, or your breasts are too big, or you're transgender, and then it's usually dismissed through coded language such as you're you're being unprofessional, or you're you're out of you're like violating dress code, so it's about just holding our leaders accountable and really challenging them in their positions of power to have these conversations and to make space for us also with the die-in, we paid all of the attendees and supporters who um or most of them the ones we organize the trans indigenous women and the LGBT queer um, allies we paid all of them for their time their presence and their time, so we believe economic justice should not just be for the ones in power but also for the people at the bottom leading the movement that's really important um
2: so a lot of trans young trans people you feel like they end up being pushed out of their communities are there resources for young trans people that feel this way
5: um, yes, I believe there are some resources regionally and nationally. Um, one resource I would like to uh, shout out would be the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico. They're wonderful. Along with Young Women United, they also have different resources for trans youth and youth who are facing any type of, um, you know, troubles within their life. Um, As far as on a national level, there is the Transgender Law Center and they work great with, um, you know, giving advice in terms of law for like different cases like the Gavin Grimm case when he went to the Supreme Court for the bathroom injustice within his school and um, also the GSA network, the National GSA network, the Gender and Sexuality Alliance. Um, They have some great resources and work directly with um, the Transgender Law Center, both based in California.
2: Awesome. And what about people that may not be directly um, involved or affected, but still want to help? Where can they go?
5: Um, y'all can go to the, the same places I just mentioned, the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico and Transgender Law Center and um, the Gender Sexuality Alliance Network National. Um, and they have great resources, stories, information um, to help you um, get a better grip on the issues that we face as a community.
2: Awesome. I just want to thank you again for sharing your powerful story and for sharing this space with us today.
5: Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us. I really admire the work you're doing and sharing your story with us. I think it's great what you're doing to try and stop discrimination and for advocating for women.
1: Thank you, Violet, for being with us. This song was chosen for its message of loving yourself. It's called Malala by Wake Self.
6: I think you need to take a second and listen to yourself and the way that you're disrespecting our women I'm not here to judge you, I know that you're just trying to make it But why is it okay for our daughters to be degraded, y'all In all these songs and videos I never feel How we got a generation corporations control with sex appeal But sex sales show some skin that show business I'd rather see a lady graduate or own her own business I Our future's being affected by children being conditioned from seeing women objectified. How come we use the words like it isn't nothing? Lowering our standards and de-evolving our mental function. Don't be imprisoned by opinions of the general public. You're beautiful, no matter society's definition of it. This the introduction to the healing coming sooner. Watch how you treat our daughters. They're the mothers of the future, yeah. So upsetting to me that our economy has turned misogyny to a revenue stream. Come on. Let us see through the lies. Discover why the entertainment industry taught us how to dehumanize each other. Yeah. And all these rappers are scared to explore the topic of how our human nature is exploited for corporate profits. Surrounded by these industries promoting sexual content. Some would rather see a woman topless than see her in office. Not judging what some ladies got to do to get theirs. I'm saying gender inequality has got the masses impaired. Yeah. yeah. And the kids are a cash target. Little children idolizing, womanizing rap artists. All the music and images that the youth are conditioned with, always rooted in ignorance. Got them losing their innocence, feel the truth in the pimpmanship. Rappers rap about pimping women while they're being pimped by the companies they do business with. You came about your mother and you live on Mother Earth, but we still don't understand the greatness of a woman's worth. Yeah, respect to those raising the daughters, raising the sons, so they can be the ones to finally save us they from us. Out.
0: Welcome back to Generation Justice. Now we're going to switch gears and look at the topic of procrastination. We've all heard that New Mexico is the land of mañana, but what does that really mean? Here to facilitate a roundtable discussion is longtime GJ member, Jaquia Fuller.
7: Hello, I'm Jaquia Fuller and welcome to GJ's Roundtable Talks, where we speak with our youth media makers about topics that are of interest to them. Tonight's topic is procrastination. There has been so much debate and research conducted about getting to the underlying cause of procrastination. With me tonight is Brennan Olivier, a 19-year-old freshman at UNM, Barbara Ramirez, a 16-year-old senior at Sandia High School, and Liam Paul, a 17-year-old junior high school student. Merriam-Webster defines procrastination as to put off intentionally the doing of something that should be done. According to Study Mode's 2014 Student Psyche Report, they found that 87% of high schoolers and college students are self-proclaimed procrastinators. Here in New Mexico, there's an ongoing narrative that this is the land of mañana instead of the land of enchantment. As young people in New Mexico, what are your thoughts after hearing this? Hi, I'm Barbara.
3: I personally think that New Mexico is not the land of mañana. I am from Venezuela, and I grew up thinking that Hispanics or Venezuelans are always late or procrastinate. I think that every bri- that everybody procrastinates, so you New know, Mexico is definitely not the land of mañana.
8: Oh, yeah. Liam here. Uh, I tend to agree with Barbara on that uh, because as an extension of the general, pre- general prejudice towards the youth... Um, there's also prejudice towards uh, Hispanic uh, Americans and all other people here in New Mexico and saying that they procrastinate a lot more, especially uh, when they're younger. And I'd say that this is more of a reflection of uh, development than um, anything about the natural nature of people because of their race or age.
1: Um, when I first heard of this expression, the land of Manana, it took me by surprise because I've always been told we're the land of enchantment. So that's what I thought New Mexico was and took my surprise because I know a lot of Mexicans here and they don't seem like they're going to do something tomorrow. They're going to seem like they're going to do it that instant if they can or they're going to do it that day.
7: Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about New Mexico in such a positive way. So does anyone have a good procrastination story they want to share?
1: Um, This is Brennan, and my procrastination story would have to be in high school when I did essays. I'd always leave them to last minute because, as I've been told by my friends, diamonds are made under pressure. So I always believe that, and and that really hurt me in high school, and I believe I could have got better grades on essay if I started them sooner instead of listening to my friend's advice.
3: I have a funny story about this. A couple of days ago, I was registering for a important exam I have to take, and uh, I was doing it like the day before the deadline, and my father told me, why are you doing it the day before? You have to search one word. It's procrastinación. I had never heard that word in Spanish. And then I came here, and they told me we were going to do this discussion about procrastination, and I didn't know the word in Spanish. So then I talked to my dad and told him, and he's like, that's the word I told you to search. But (laughs) I procrastinated.
8: (laughs) I love it. Uh, Well, uh, yeah, I have one as well. So uh, I I was taking an English class, and I had a study hall um, uh, during all last year, uh, way before that. And... um, I ended up not doing any work at home and simply doing it in the study hall. And uh it'd be surprised that I didn't get an A in that class, I think. <laughs> surprise to everybody.
7: Is it human nature to procrastinate?
8: Well, um I got Liam here again, sorry. Uh I I would say it is. Um, there's there's uh, evidence uh, dating back from ancient Greek scholars that have uh, talked about this, this idea, and there's also medical research uh, about um, types of things that uh, suggest that procrastination can not only be uh, created by your surroundings but also endemic in, in you or um, just kind of driven into you by your environment and kind of stays there. So... Uh, it's very peer-reviewed, very credible evidence that says it is.
1: Uh, this is Brennan, and I believe that procrastination can be good and bad. And the reason why I say it can be good or bad is because you might have a lot on your plate. And um, for one example, I'll say a single mother that works, like, two jobs, has kids, and also has to take care of a house. If she gets, like, another thing put into there, the plate will just – it'll overflow. overfill and also that might um so she'll put on to tomorrow and that's a good good that's good procrastination
3: i think it's a it's human nature my dad said is a bad habit i don't think so because in my country people procrastinate that why do people procrastinate in my country and in new mexico (laughs) it's human nature
7: (laughs) So in general, young people are thought of as procrastinators, but it's always interesting to see what previous generations were distracted by. So Barbara, um, when your pa- so as a 16-year-old, like, what do you think, um, when your parents were 16, what do you think they were distracted by? So my parents were distracted
3: with each other. My, I, that's what I think because of what they have told me. I know that my dad used to ride a bike to my mom's house
7: to see her, and that they each other. And Liam, what do you think your parents were distracted by when they were seventeen?
8: Uh, I'd say TV is the, I guess is the natural progression uh, from the internet now, and then TV was what people were distracted by back then. Um, just watch that all day, I guess.
7: And, Brennan, what about you when your parents were 19?
1: Um, looking back, I would have to believe they are probably distracted by anything other than homework.
7: That's a pretty good guess. <laughs> so, do you all have any, like, strategies or tips that you would like to share with listeners about, like, how to minimize their procrastination? So when I have to study for one specific test, I
3: like to give my phone to my mom. The other day I was like, I can't. Here is my phone. <laughs> Take it. Because sometimes I think, I feel that I can't control it. So that's one of the things I use.
1: Uh, this is Brennan, and one of the things I use is an agenda. So I write everything down so I know when it's due. And also I prioritize it from one to four, one being most important and do the next day or four and four being like not important and not do very soon. So then that, that keeps me organized so that I can uh, be able to do the things that are due on time.
8: Well, this is Liam. And uh, for me, it really helps to get out of my house um, because I... I there's so many things happening at my house or someone could ask me to do something. And uh, sometimes I just prioritize that more. So if I'm out of the house, I'm just focused and um, just only focus on my work or what I have to do.
7: All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing those tips. And thank you everyone for joining us in for the GJ Roundtable Talks. And before we leave you, um, I would like to share with you a couple of tips that I like to use. Um, one is a popular app is called Forest, and it's basically a, for- a focus app. So if you have like a task that you want to do or something that you want to set time aside to focus on, you just go ahead and open the app and then it plants a tree. And so whenever you like not touch your phone or get distracted by anything the tree grows and then it grows into a forest but if you actually do touch your phone and it dies so it kind of motivates you to you know keep it living by staying focused on the task at hand and then another tip would be like set realistic goals so that you're not overwhelming yourself so you don't feel as though you have to go ahead and do everything at once because you waited to the last minute or like things came up and it seems like impossible to complete. And I would just like to say thank you again to Liam Paul and to Barbara Ramirez for coming into the studio and joining us today. And thank you to our host, Brenna Olivier. Thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you, Jaquia Fuller, for facilitating the roundtable. Brenna Olivier, Liam Paul, and Barbara Ramirez for your thoughts. Our next song is Anticipation by Carly Simon.
4: And never know about the days to come, but we think about them anyway. And I wonder if I'm really
1: with you now. We've come to the end of another hour of resistance. We would like to thank our guest, Christine Barber of Street Safe to Mexico, for inviting our community to the West Mesa Anniversary Vigil on February 2nd at Amole Mesa Avenue. Again, for more information, you can visit streetsafenm.org.
0: Also, thank you to Violet Martinez for joining us and for all the wonderful work you do for our community, and to Tama Fenderson, who conducted the interviews. Thank you to our roundtable speakers, Jaquia Fuller, Liam Paul, Barbara Ramirez, and my co-host, Brendan Olivier. Production assistance came from Katie Zuni and Roberta Rao.
1: And thank you to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you.
0: Generation Justice would like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners.
1: Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and rate us.
0: We're also active on social media, so make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D.
1: Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Colton Alma Health Foundation, the Albuquerque Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate.
0: We try to select the best music each week. Coming up next is Tonada de Luna Llena by Natalia Lafru- Lafrucade featuring Gustavo Guerrero, followed by Most Girls by Haley Steinfeld.
1: Followed by Logic featuring Damien Damian Lamar Hudson with Black Spider-Man. I'm Brennan Olivier.
0: And I'm Andrea Vera. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock.
1: As a fellow UNM student, I would like to give a shout-out to our UNM listeners and encourage them to go to generationjustice.org and apply to become a youth producer with Generation Justice. I wish you guys the best of luck with your classes and keep hanging in there.
8: You'll be the Como se tu con el mío. Some girls feel
2: best in the tiny dresses. Some girls, nothing but sweatpants looking like a princess. Some girls... Kiss new lips every single night. They're staying out late cause they just celebrating life. You
6: know, some days you feel so good
2: in your
6: own skin. I've been feeling so down. I think they should know now. I think they should know what's up. That's that road I've been down. I know how it go down. I know how it go now. What's up? I feel like I don't belong, I feel like my life is wrong I feel like I don't know what's up What's up, what's up Yeah, yeah, hey I ain't here to pick
7: and choose, I ain't here to sing the blues